At RBC Wealth Management, they believe financial security begins by building a plan you can trust. Their financial advisors provide advice customized to your needs. So no matter where you are in life, you can depend on their expertise to help build a wealth plan that's right for you. Let them build your plan today. Call the Quigley Group at the Oak Ware office of RBC Wealth Management at 715-858-7788 to see how they can help. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Hey folks, this is 13 and 3, otherwise known as Mogi and JC, welcoming you to the next episode of the Breakout Sessions podcast. This episode is sponsored by Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine Clinic and Remedy Bloody Mary Mix. We would like to welcome our featured guest to the podcast, University of Wisconsin Badgers Associate Head Coach Mark Strobel. Mogi? Hey, this is going to be a lot of fun, folks. I hope you really enjoy this episode. It's going to be fun talking to a fellow East Sider, St. Paul, Minnesota. Welcome, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really grateful, you guys. You know, Mark, um, you have had some excellent success in the world of hockey, now being an associate head coach for the Badgers, previous coaching experience, playing experience that we're all going to talk about. But it was not easy for you to get where you are today, you know, you grew up on the east side of St. Paul in the Johnson area. What was the culture like then growing up? Well, it's, um, it was a life of hard knocks and um, something I would never change. There's a lot of pride on the east side. And um, I, I think what it taught me the most um, was you can get through anything. And if you have a good support unit, which we, we really did, a lot of the kids were in um, that I grew up with were in a lot of the same environments where – uh, we we use utilize the playgrounds uh, within the city of St. Paul as our as our playground, literally to learn about hockey, life, um, other sports, uh, how to compete, how to be responsible, uh, how to uh, adapt to um, you know getting hit in the face with a stick, and then you know um, losing your tooth, and and then picking it up, and you keep playing. I mean, it, it, they were some tough kids, and. Um, what I really appreciate about it is uh, n nobody had the, the quitting mentality. Um, we just all wanted to compete and play and um, kind of get out of the environment uh, at times, which I think was hard for kids, but we didn't really um, say it. We just had an outlet of sports where um, we had each other. You know, you, uh, you have a twin brother, Mike. Uh, you had some rivalries with him, and then you had some experiences in the positive nature uh, where you guys ended up going in the right direction. But let's go back to the rivalry. A any any stories between you and him growing up? Oh, too many to list. Uh, you know, a lot of knee hockey in the basement that could turn into a, a, a what you would call a barroom brawl now. But uh, we were, you know, the, the good and the bad of having a twin was um, you always had someone that you could um, do something with, whether it was 
you know, knee hockey or ping pong or just shooting buckets out in the front driveway. But it also could turn into you're, you're staring at someone that's saying, okay, you're me, but you're different than me. And, and, but I'm, I'm trying to find my own identity. And uh, we were very competitive, both of us. And, and I think it drove us to be, you know, uh, very good at what we wanted to become. And, but it also at times could leave you with a bloody nose and mad and be a little resentful. And then, you know, the apology had to come a few days later, but um, no, I'd, I'd have him on my team any day of the week because he was a, he's a high level competitor and, um, you know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he, he, he wanted to win. Did that rivalry help you out as well to, to exceed? Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, it, you know, when you're a competitive person and you have the will to fight every day, and I don't mean fight, fight, but I'm saying you have the will to get through things uh, and challenges that come your way, um, you know, he, he was always a sounding board. Uh, you know, he might have handled things different than I did at times, but... Uh, you know, he, he definitely drove me to be uh, the best I could be every day, and I think I did that for him. But like I said, uh, as things evolved and we were able to, you know, stick together throughout the um, the teen years, the high school years, and then the college years, um, you know, I think things were pretty darn good when you look back and in the success we had. So you were a defenseman and he was a forward. What drew you guys to the different positions? Yeah, so what happened, um, my junior in high school at Hill Murray, um, we, we had played on a line together our whole lives uh, because we were identical twins and you kind of knew where each other uh, was on the ice all day long. I mean, I could see him in the back of my head. I could almost anticipate plays to areas where I knew he was going to be. And, and that, that went on through, uh, you know, A squirts, A peewees, uh, A bantams. And then um, when our junior year came upon us at Hill Murray, I was asked by the coaching staff, if I was willing to play defense because I was a pretty good skater and I was one of the guys that could skate backwards very well. And so I said, um, basically, I'll do whatever's best for the team. And uh, I know that probably didn't uh, sit well with Mike or even myself, but I, I thought at the time it was just we were, I was there to win. I was there to keep Hill Murray's tradition uh, alive and well from the years that I watched as a as a kid and, and what the expectations were there to win. And so uh, that decision got made, and it, it kind of separated us. It was uh, some foreshadowing to probably where we're at today as men, where, you know, sometimes you got to split the apple at the core, and, and you know, one's going to go one way, the other's going to go the other way on the ground. And long story short, I, I think it worked out for him as a wing and certainly did for me as a defenseman to learn uh, that position. And now as a coach, um, looking back, I, I, I played all positions other than goalie, and I've also um, – now I can coach forwards, defense alike, and I and I, I real I really feel comfortable at, at uh, knowing the forward position and D position as a coach. You know, you mentioned Hill Mary. Um, you had a, a decision to make. You could have gone to Johnson High School instead. What what was the decision, or why was the decision made to go with the Hill Murray? Well, again, go, going back to the east side, there were so many uh, you know really good blue collar families and. A lot of times uh, parents had to work two, three jobs and make ends meet. So uh, we, we didn't afford much. And, and I had gone to um, presentation uh, school, which was, you know, maybe a few miles from the house. So my brother and I would walk every day, kindergarten through eighth. And I think that was a big decision on, uh, of parents to uh, you're either going to go to the Catholic school or the public school. And at the time I got put in the Catholic school as a kindergartner. And 
kind of stuck with it. It it kept me on the straight and narrow. At times, I I did buck the discipline, but uh, hindsight looking back, I needed it, and I needed the faith. Uh, I needed to learn about God and what Jesus was and what He meant to you know society and and humanity and and I really embraced that because it got me through a lot of hard times uh, in what was going on at my my family life at the time. But um, as that high school decision approached and. Uh, I had played Bantams my ninth grade year for St. Paul Johnson and grew up in that, you know, East Side Squirts and then the Johnson youth hockey. There was just so much pride. It was it was really hard. It, I was torn. But, um, you know, as we mentioned early in the pre-show, um, my brother and I had gone up to a lot of the high school public games. And at the time, uh, Hill Murray was playing in the St. Paul City Conference. And um, they would mop up on a lot of teams. And I, and I, I, I knew every player. I memorized lineups. I knew their numbers could tell you which way they shot, and um, Aldrich became almost a, a teaching ground for Mike and I to not only study the game, learn the game, love the game, uh, even more than just playing it, but, um, you know, there's a mystique about Hill Murray, and so it was very hard. We made the decision. We had to cut a deal with our father, um, who was a St. Paul fireman and couldn't afford it, and there was two of us, of course, and that means two gloves, two pair of skates, or I should say two sets of everything, so four pair of gloves, but um, I, we cut a deal and I did a work study program at Hill Murray. Uh, so I basically, um, agreed to, uh, clean the cafeteria. Um, I had to, um, change money in the payroll department. I had to take the trash out of every bin in the school. Uh, and then one of my jobs was also stocking all the pop machines. So, um, I really didn't have much of a study hall there for four years, but you know, it taught me humility uh, at that age, you're embarrassed, but I look back now and say I'm glad I did it because it drove me even harder to want to have success there, and I held a lot of the other kids there um, accountable, uh, especially ones that did have money and could probably fall back on you know, their parents' checking account. I didn't have that luxury, so for me, it was always um, keep fighting, keep battling, keep doing what you got to do to get through every day. So, Coach, what were the dynamics like between the private and the public schools in the St. Paul City Conference at that time? You mentioned you guys mopped up, and you did quite often. So, well, I think you can you 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 know you can argue, uh, you know, recruiting was always in play at Hill Murray and a lot of the Catholic schools. I, I personally wasn't recruited by them because um, I'm still waiting for my green Corvette that I've never seen, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I again, it was just that decision to go to the Catholic school. Uh, they did have a, a very good hockey program. I knew I was going to get a really solid education, but uh, I did miss my true friends, you know. So, so I think the difference was is uh, probably a lot of those public school kids saw us as arrogant, rich, wealthy, um, hubris, um, entitled. And when in fact, a lot of the you know the blue collar uh, kids I did go to Hillary with and. Some of them were, you know, in similar situations. I was not a lot, but they, they were good, hardworking kids. And, you know, for us, it was Teflon. We bounced it off her back and just said, hey, when, when it comes time to compete and the puck is dropped, all the, all the snide remarks, all the judgment, all the uh, comments are out the window. And it just comes down to being smart, executing, uh, using your talent to best your ability, make others better. And, you know, kind of that's what we did. We, we always knew how physical – we were taught to play at Johnson because that was a real big identity of St. Paul Johnson. I knew through uh, when you could start body checking. And, you know, a lot of our practices were if you were a winger, a center was, you know, hit the blue line, 
you put the puck in the corner and you can go absolutely eliminate the first guy you see in the other jersey. And I'm not saying just bump into the board. You want to put them through the boards. That's how we were taught. Those are practices we had. So it was, everything was very physical. We were going to pound you. We were going to beat you up. We were going to, um, you know, fight for every millimeter of ice. And a lot of the goals that we were taught to score on the east side was tip-ins, deflect, rebound, goalie screens, run the goalie through the net to score. As I got to Hill Murray, a change of it was more flow, it was puck movement, it was, you know, three touches on the power play, then unload a, a one-timer, and so, you know, things changed there too. But I, I think to your question back to it is, you know, everybody saw Hill Murray as this, uh, you know, Goliath, you know, this this arrogant superpower that everyone wanted to knock off, and, you know, they're cocky, and, you know, I, I, I related to when I came here, man, I, you know, Wisconsin was doing well, we had a swagger, um, you know, we had the mentality that we're going to not only beat you on the ice physically and, and athletically and skillfully, but, you know, we'll we'll meet you in the parking lot after if you want us to walk you on your bus and keep talking about it. So <laughs> I think that carried over uh, to, to my tenure at Hill Murray, and it probably didn't always make the coaches happy because I never saw it as undisciplined. I saw it as, um, you know, good emotion where we could get other guys from, say, you know, Woodbury or Tatino Grace or, you know, the melting pot that was at Hill Murray, Irondale, uh, some other guys you play with, to to make them tougher, meaner, stronger, to have some of those comments or even a guy run you at a scrimmage when we would play Johnson uh, at Phelan Arena. Just you got to bounce it off. You got to be mentally tough. Wow. Uh, you know, I would love to have seen those games. I, <laughs> you talk about some real, you know, uh, physical aspects of the game and and that leads me to my next question <clears throat> what skills did you have that attracted the badgers to look at you that's a great question again being a converted defenseman from a forward i think uh the assets i had were my skating my skill my compete level was very high um i i refused to lose and you know as one of those uh mentalities within myself that you'd have to kill me to stop me. And I think that attracted Wisconsin. They, they had guys in their past, uh, like Pat Ethier and uh, Tim Thomas and uh, Sean Hill, you know, that probably had a little bit of the switch, we call it. You know, they weren't always, uh, you know, mentally stable when the puck got dropped because they, they competed so hard and they cared so much. So I love it. I, 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 uh, I call it now a real good social-emotional intelligence uh, as I coach, but I reflected as a player when Wisconsin recruited me, I think they were looking for a captain. I think they were looking for a guy eventually that could run the power play, but they wanted a two-way defenseman that was going to kind of continue what uh, Sean Hill and Rob Andringa and some of the, the defensemen that had played there uh, was going to carry on, and, and I feel like um, – that was my responsibility, and I did it. But uh, I, toughness more than anything. But uh, I, I could skate. I could move pucks. I, I had skill. I, I was, you know, probably too many penalties. I would have had more points if I wasn't in the box. But uh, it was grateful. It was a blessing, man. It changed my life. I, I was so happy to come here. So the coach at the time was Jeff Sauer, another St. Paul boy. Do you think he went back to you and your brother Mike, uh, knowing that the personalities and the way you played and you had been a good fit for him. And I think absolutely. I, I think no question. And, you know, Jeff is nice of a, a coach and man and guy that he was. Uh, he, he knew his, his brilliance and his genius. I didn't know it until years later 
uh, was letting the guys be themselves. So if you had a guy that was tough, physical, might, you know, every now and then uh, call some guys out on the bench or in the locker room, he, he let that happen. Uh, as long as we could correct it together as young men. And, um, you know, he, he again, think of a coach's job, Coach Sauer. He got melting pot guys from Detroit, from Canada, from Minnesota. Everyone's got different personalities. Everyone wants to touch a puck. Everyone wants to play. And, you know, he was able to step back sometimes and almost let the uh, madness happen. And then it would always correct itself because guys knew we had to get back on the straight and narrow to say, okay, there's a game coming up and we, we can't be, you know, the village idiots here. We have to sit and play hockey and eventually score more goals than the other team. And, but it was an honor to be recruited by him. Uh, I was very blessed, uh, be, as we talked earlier. Um, I didn't have any options. I didn't know where I was going if uh, college hockey didn't work out for me. My folks didn't talk to me about, you know, where are you going to school? What do you want to study? What do you want to do with your future? So uh, the good Lord and hockey presented itself and opened many doors. I was recruited by several teams. But it, when it got narrowed down to Minnesota and Wisconsin, um, Steve Rollick was a huge influence because he was uh, five years older than my brother and I, and he had gone through the same thing. He was a presentation kid, Hill Murray. Uh, his dad had worked up there, a very, very tough principal, by the way. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he then was a captain and then went on to Wisconsin. And, and uh, so Steve had, had set the table a little bit probably wanting to build a little bit of a pipeline of guys like him, you know, playing there again and having success. And Wisconsin was winning. And then really what sealed the deal for me was Robbie Andring and Sean Hill taking my brother and I out and how, how nice they were and how they made you feel like you're already on the team. And, you know, I'm sure they got a background on us saying, hey, we need two guys like you to continue uh, the tradition of what's, you know, been successful here. And I knew I was going to come score 100 goals. But I knew I was going to get a few, but I was also going to make sure that other guys on my team were going to have space to play. And our goaltender was going to always be protected. And then it all comes full circle. When you go back to the east side, that's what we were taught. It was brotherhood. It was the wolf pack is stronger in numbers than it is one individual. And so for me, I, it, I didn't ever worry about scoring or taking a bad penalty. What I worried about was, am I putting my team in a position to win the game, and um, it it came full circle at Wisconsin. So I, I hope that answered your question. But um, you know, Jeff was such a nice man, and the stuff he put up with, I just I, I I couldn't thank him enough. So you were captain your senior year at Hill Murray, and you were captain your junior and senior year at Wisconsin. I think I know the answer to this, but uh, and you may have already touched on some of it. But what was your style of leadership? You know, it was very uh, truthful. It was very um, honest, uh, but it was also very caring. I, I, I have a, um, you know, as you get older, you start to figure out who you are. And, you know, number one, I care about people. I, I really do. And I, I want to see people succeed. And um, for me, when you're honored with that responsibility of being a captain at a Division One team, especially like Wisconsin and the history of it and the guys that have worn the, the C or the A before me, I take it very personal. I feel like there's a bigger obligation that I have to play than a guy just going out and saying, okay, I'm going to stretch, I'm going to shoot a few pucks, and I'm going to bury a few tonight. So I took a lot of the responsibility on on how the team did, uh, how our discipline was, uh, how guys were doing in school, how they were treating people out you know, in the public and in the bar. 
And, um, uh, I, 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 I think I was born with it. I really do. I, I think even as a kid, I, I always was that guy that wanted to, you know, grab 10 guys and you're on there and you're on there and we're going to play for, you know, best of seven until the lights go off and then we'll play in the dark for another seven games. And, uh, I remember that in school where I was just something where I just, if I saw something, I spoke up and, um, but I, but I, I just collectively, I think, um, have that persona to say, Hey, you know, that guy's got your back and you want to be in his bunker. And, you know, I'm not saying we got to go, you know, shoot everybody and, and, and win the war. But I think I just have that personality where I've been through so many battles as a child, as a youth. And then even in, in the sport of hockey, which to me is a gladiator sport and always will be and should be, um, where I always came out on the other side, you know, and, uh, bringing guys with me was really the true, um, definite of my leadership. And, but I, I was one of those guys too, where I think, um, guys would sit and say, man, if, if we're running a dynamic run at the, the, um, McLean facility and I, I saw a guy cut inside the cone, we we're supposed to go around him. I would sprint up to him and I get right in his ear and I say, Hey, the coach said to go outside the cone, not inside the cone. I saw that. So don't do that again. Cause again, it can come down to you missing your back check against Northern Michigan when that might be the game we need to win to win the WCHA. Yep. And I would always at least give the solution, not, hey, I'm just coming over to yell at you or complain. Uh, there, there was always a, a rhyme to my reason or a thought process to say, hey, you're letting the guy next to you down, and that doesn't happen. And that, that, again, we go back to the east side. That's what it taught me. You know, if somebody messed with one of your guys, you were dealing with a wolf pack, you know. And um, to me, that's how it should continue to be on a team and put egos aside and the collective goal is to win games and to be happy for each other when they do execute and to pick them up when they don't and so that's I think been my leadership uh I know that's probably long drawn out but I, I've been very <laughs> blessed where once you kind of realize you have that uh God-given gift as as being a leader I, I think you have to embrace it well, I wish that the listeners right now could see the intensity on your face. This is, <laughs> this is great. You know, I'm going to take one second here uh, to uh, give a shout-out to one of our sponsors, uh, Remedy Bloody Mary Mix, based out of Wisconsin and created to satisfy your deep craving for a Bloody Mary. The recipe is created so you don't have to add anything except ice and your favorite spirit. It already includes all of your favorite ingredients with just the right amount of heat, you can find places near you to purchase Remedy or online at RemedyBloodyMaryMix.com. And, uh, you know, you were talking about the gladiator spirit of uh, the game of hockey. And uh, uh, quite a few episodes ago, we had a gentleman on by the name of Denny Zacco from the University of Minnesota who played back in the 60s against Jeff Sauer. And he talked about a uh, game that ended up being an absolute brawl yep. at uh, D Stadium, which included uh, Mr. Sauer. Well, this was because uh, Sauer played at Colorado College. Yo, I, I, I apologize, yeah. yes. So uh, against the Gophers, I think it was at Williams Arena. Williams, you're right. My yeah. apologies for goofing that up. But, uh, you know, Sauer got kicked out of the game uh, along with Denny Zacco because of their competitive spirit on the ice. <laughs> did, uh, did Mr. Sauer bring that to the game as well? You know, I, I, I've heard stories like that about Coach uh, in the past. I never saw it if because uh, I never really saw him play. I was uh, too young. But uh, his personality to me would have been a maybe a skilled, more of a soft, 
kind of F3 high, get me the puck and I'll rip one on the net kind of guy. I, I didn't see him as really, he never came off to me, honestly, as a tough, hard nose, um, you know, east side type kid. Um, just very jovial, very kind, um, maybe even just like a first pass defenseman that could skate well, you know, and maybe would engage if he had to. Um, but to hear that, that's, that's interesting. I, I think Jeff deep down had a, his own kind of competitiveness. Um, but typically it was him yelling at the referees that made him happy and uh, he was competitive at that we but but again he always I think in the years I was here and even listening to the guys ahead of me and and behind me is uh, he had that innate knowledge to trust his captains and his leaders and some of the guys that just had those real big personalities to command the room and he would just check in with you later hey do you hey how's it going how's it what's a heartbeat and you know, I always gave it to him uh, straight and honest, and um, he would play off of that. So, yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen that that fight or him getting kicked out. That would have <laughs> that would have shocked me a little bit, to be honest. You know, are there any good locker room stories you can share with us? You know, the jokester or or, or the ones that uh, you know a little bit of hazing that might have been going on at the time. Um. I got too many to tell you, and uh, the ones that I will that are more the pg rated i think are appropriate but you know again things get passed down i i you know you had a few of the i would call um traditions or superstitions um i i'm not a big guy in the word hazing at all especially as a coach I, I never thought you had to do that to make someone feel comfortable i was always the opposite i always welcomed a guy and said hey you're running in the club and you're wearing your jersey man and just go out and earn your stripes with hard work and respect and, and you'll get it but uh, a lot of times this one became common, I think, my senior year at Wisconsin, if I remember right, and uh, concussions were real in my day too, so I think I got this right. But guys used to go to the bathroom and they do their number two, and I, I will say I was guilty of this because we all were given the same issued tennis shoes, and I would throw on a pair of socks and I would have my uh, Nikes on, and I would kind of tiptoe through the bathroom with a really, really cold glass of water and that person would be in there taking a number two and I'd put my arm over the top and dump it right on that person's head and I figured by the time they looked down and say who did that they would only see feet running across the floor which you couldn't really tell because everyone had the same issued pair so I got away with that probably a good six eight times the problem was if somebody saw you sprinting out of there, they're like, what did you just do? You know, like you pulled the fire alarm. They might have known, but I give them the wink like, hey, you ain't seeing anything. This thing's going to go on for a little while. And typically it was with guys that might have been younger, let's say freshmen or sophomores. So call that what it was. But uh, I, I'm one of those guys that I could be driving in my car and I laugh to myself uh, listening to Rick Springfield's greatest hits because I did stuff like that back then. And that's, to me, what made college hockey special, fun. Another trick was uh, actually I think my brother Mike and Jeff Sauer had uh, this longstanding little game they used to play with each other. But my brother would always jam pucks into his uh, – he would change his shoes for the bench. He would almost wear these like um, – they were like spot builds, like coaching shoes you'd have on third base – playing Babe Ruth ball, and he'd put those on. They were all black, but my brother would always jam stuff in there, whether it was a, a puck or shaving cream. And so Coach, before the game, would throw those on, and he'd come and he'd look at my brother. He goes, again? Like, you got me again? 
and it was all kinds of objects. I just, I would, I think I reminded him, he probably reminded himself, don't put a knife in there or anything sharp where you're going to cut coach's toes off, you know. <laughs> it just had to be uncomfortable a little bit. So those are a couple. But, yeah, guys were, you know, hockey guys are crazy. They're, they're, you don't make any um, other excuses that we're nuts. And uh, I think that's okay. We're, we give you the shirt off our back when we meet you. I think a lot of people say that about you know, us other than other athletes, um, just because of the gladiator mentality, we care. We're like, you know, obviously I don't want to say Navy SEALs because, uh, you know, that's a whole different level, but you do have that type of brotherhood, man, where, uh, you are willing to die for each other. Uh, I've been in a lot of guys' weddings. I've, I've been the godfather, of a lot of their children. And to me, uh, this, this sport is, it was extremely special still is. And I hope I can continue to teach that to the guys I coach every day. You know, Coach, all four years that you were at uh, Wisconsin, you guys made the you guys made the NC two A tournament. What was the atmosphere like, as far as you know, on the bench when Coach is there, trying to drive you guys to get to that next level so you could make the tournament each year? Was there something specific he was saying? How how were things in that? In that bench area, yeah, it's a good question because because there's a lot of dynamics there, coach to player, player to player. Uh, obviously, need good goaltenders. Um, f- for me, what I can reflect on immediately from my heart to my mind and then to my mouth was those were the expectations. When I came here, they had just won the '90 title. I had known who you know all the guys were for probably the previous ten years. I was fortunate when I was here to meet. You know, a lot of the uh, alumni and, and, you know, uh, Mike Richter and uh, Scott Mellenby, and I knew who these guys were. And I always said, if I'm going to go to the bar after a sweep, I'm going to have my head held high, but I can't go there if we just got swept because I wouldn't be able to look the alumni in the eye. Similar to Hill Murray, you know, similar to even my the coaches I had at Johnson, you know, you, you wanted to succeed. So for me, I didn't see it as pressure. I saw it as opportunity going, I'm going to be part of these classes that, are always knocking on the, the, the title door. And that's why I came here. You know, obviously people say, hey, obviously it's a great education. The fans are awesome. You got the two lakes. You got State Street. That, that was all bonus. But I came here for one reason, and that was to win national championships. And we did knock on the door. I thought my junior year, we, we started out with the number one team in the country, and we were very deep at forward. We were very deep at defense. Um, uh, you know, our two goaltenders that year were Jim Carey and Kirk Dobbins back and I think what happened there, too, again, was we, we, we had a lot of guys on board, but not everybody. And when you didn't have everybody, you know, the magic can't happen at the end. The execution somehow breaks down. And, you know, when you're worried about where you're going next and not being in the moment, that, that can happen. But, no, I, for me, and it's probably a, a bit of a curse, even coaching here, I, I expect to be in the tournament every year. I expect to have 26, 27 wins at Wisconsin for how much they gave me and how much these kids nowadays get. Uh, there's a humble process to please and thank you, and, and part of that byproduct is winning and giving everything you got every day to say, if you're not wearing my jersey and, and mine is Wisconsin, then I'm coming after you. I'm taking what you got or I'm not giving up what I got, and, and that was my mentality here for four years. And and I think, I, I honestly, uh I remember Brett Kurtz, and, and he may remember it. My freshman year, I think we were losing to Denver after the second period, and that was the year we went 
I think 27 and 12 and, and two and, and ran as a uh, six seed right to the national title game and lost to Lake State. But we bonded. We had, I think, nine wins in a row at the end. And, and uh, But anyway, I got into it with him, and I didn't mean to. I just, we weren't playing well. I, I, I was watching it. And again, you can only be accountable for your own actions. But he was a, a senior captain at the time and had won a 90 title with, you know, the likes of those other guys. And um, I just said, hey, we're, we're, we're not playing very well. And I, I could use some explicit words. And I said, it's got to be better. I didn't come here to lose, guys. And he said something back and I said something back. And I think we were ready to fight in the middle of the room. And a lot of guys were like, oh, my gosh, you know, our, our, our freshman class cares and we're important. And we all were playing. You know, I think Chris Stock got 20 games. I got maybe 37. My brother was playing. Uh, Jamie Spencer was playing. Kelly Fairchild. And all those guys in the dorms, we kept saying it. We're, we we want to win titles here. You know, we know we're not going to play a lot till our probably sophomore, junior, seniors, but that was our expectation. We all knew why we came to Wisconsin. That was to win titles. And, um, you know, I think we were second in the WCH every year. And, and um, but, again, I went to four, and I thought you were supposed to. I'd, if I didn't go, I would have been really mad, depressed, sad, and, we would have had a really long summer, but uh, to be able to go to those tournaments and, um, you know, always be in the top two or three in the WCHA, to me, that was that's why I came here, and that's the, the level I had to uphold. So the NCAA tournament, very important to um, a lot of the college hockey folks. A lot of them have that expectation, you know, you talk about Minnesota, Michigan, uh, Denver, Duluth. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Duluth, you know, they're, they're, they expect to be there every year. So let's talk about the Minnesota state high school hockey tournament. Okay. Just, uh, just finished up in St. Paul a couple weeks ago. So you won that prestigious legendary tournament your senior year. Take us through that experience. Whew, man. Uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. My, my senior year, we had a better team. I'll be honest with you. My junior year, because, uh, the likes of Tony Gruba, and Craig Johnson and Sean Murray, and, uh, you know, we had a really deep team. And those guys were great hockey players. I mean, Tony ended up playing at St. Cloud State. Obviously, Craig at Minnesota and a good NHL career. But we had got upset my junior year to uh, Park Cottage Grove in triple overtime. And, um, man, you talk about a, a tough night. But, again, I think from that loss, after you recover – the brain then switches on going, that's never going to happen again. And there was some faith here. You know, Scott Sandlin, I was able to work for for two years at Duluth, always taught me through uh, him learning from Dean Blaze, is it's hard to win championships. you got to be healthy. you got to get a bounce of a puck. There's a few calls that have to go your way, and whether that's a penalty or offsides or, you know, maybe a guy in the crease on a goal that scored, et cetera. You know, a, a lot of things really manifested that year. Um and I, and I do believe this. I do believe uh, Mike and I were able to pull some guys into our circle uh, the Johnson hockey mentality way where we needed to be more physical. We weren't the super skilled, you know, make nine passes and score like the 70s uh, Russians. We were, we were going to have to go get the puck. We we're going to have to retrieve the puck. We we're going to have to cycle, and we we're going to have to, again, make some plays at the net. And, and um, I, I remember playing a lot. I, I had to play every other shift, which was fine. I also, at the time, had a job at Strauss Skates and Bicycles to help pay for my uh, skates and sticks. So I, I was working jobs on Saturday afternoons, sharpening 100 pairs of skates. And, uh, again, I'm not proud of this, but I'd take a no-dose. It was over the counter at some you know, 7-Eleven, and I, we go play Coon Rapids. And I remember, again, like you had touched on earlier, 
you know, everyone already hated your guts when your bus showed up. And, but I was able to bring guys to, to the mentality of, hey, guys, they hate us for a reason because we're good, because they're jealous, because we need to execute tonight and we're going to do that. So however hard they hit you, hit them twice as hard back. If they punch in the face, take it. We're going to go on the power play and I'm going to bury one here. And it's going to be the difference in the game. And, you know, Kevin Powell at the time was a, was a solid goalie. Uh, he was he was good enough to make uh, the saves we needed, but that team again taught me about you don't have to be the best, and I think I learned that from Herb Brooks in the '80 championship. You just have to have the right guys in the right places at the right time, being confident because either your coach or your captain said, "Hey, you can do this." And uh, Jimmy Young was a fourth line player from Roseville who I think didn't play past C. Bantams, and he was kept as a, a character guy or senior year. And we were down a white bear. But to even win the state championship, we were down a white bear 3-1 to one, uh, with the likes of Brian Bonin and some other very good players at the Met Center. And we came back and won that game 4-3. to three. And uh, that was just, again, I, I, I can't say what I said in the locker room, but it was definitely the point if you don't go out there and, and leave everything on the ice and, and literally I got to scrape you off. If you don't do that, I will deal with you on, uh, you know, the end of the the scoreboard uh, at zero clicks and and you know what every guy did it and it, it wasn't a threat it was just it was a motivational opportunity for us to say again we are Hill Murray there is a pride here and I'm going to pull it out of you. So coach you mentioned the Johnson mentality uh, getting it to be more physical so back in the 60s 70s 80s there was a very robust St. Paul City Conference hockey competition okay all the schools had had teams, they all, you know, it was fairly competitive. Um, but slowly, the hockey migrated out into the suburbs. And a lot of the city schools dropped their program. Okay. Right now, Johnson is one of the only public schools to have a high school hockey program. How are they able to maintain that hockey program at that school? Uh, one person. Well, I'll give them uh, two people. Uh, one guy that was a mechanic arts guy, Steve Hogue, who has been with Steve Moose Younghands for probably well over 20 years now, maybe 25. And I would I would absolutely consider, consider him an East Sider. But Steve Moose Younghands is a reason why that program still has breath and life and uh, still lives in uh, on English Street on the East Side. I, I don't know if he'll ever leave, still works at Strauss Gate, still gives back to the Johnson community uh, like no other. But there's a, there's a pride in him that, again, probably touched so many lives over the years that um, it's ingrained in us now. It's the no quit. It's the brotherhood. It's the, you know, uh, there's a humbleness, but there's a hungriness. Uh, you know, there's an intensity when you uh, are a, a Johnson kid to say, okay, even if you beat us 6-2, to two, you, you had to earn your six goals against us. And uh, I think he still coaches like that. The talent certainly is never going to, be what it used to be. I think a lot of the generations now packed up and moved out to the suburbs. Um, but for him to keep that thriving and even look at co-op options, my hat's off to him. I, I, uh, I think the guy just cares that much and, and, uh, he feels like, um, it's that important to him, you know, where he can't give up and, and, you know, he's, he's pretty much like uh, teaching kids how to skate uh, at Johnson High School now because so many of them have never played the game uh, long enough uh, because now the game is 
created a, a white collar sport when in fact again i go back to my days uh, the kids down the street uh would give you their hand-me-downs because parents couldn't afford you know even 30 bucks for shin pads or so we'd get the hand-me-downs and you'd play with the secondhand stuff and that was for me i remember uh skates gloves shoulder pads shin pads all of it until i finally made an a-team uh which was squirts and then you finally were able to convince your dad to get you your own pair of skates and and stuff like that but I also feel like I didn't answer the state tournament question fully, I, and it's a cool story. Uh, my brother and I had this uh, Chevy Cavalier with no power steering my dad bought us, and I think he bought it from a, a fireman buddy or somebody. I don't know where he got an auction, but it was a stick shift, man. And um, I remember when we beat White Bear and my brother, you know, were on the east side off uh, Dieter Street there by Frost Lake. We drove down there, and we drove around the St. Paul Civic Center, and we looked at each other, and we said, we're going to win the goddamn thing. And uh, it still, it brings chills today because we did, and it's a big deal. It's yeah, it a, big, a deal. big deal. And, and where, where our home life was at the time, it was really in a tough spot. And, and this is an odd story, too. We got robbed the Johnson game. So our neighbors, obviously everyone's down at the, the St. Paul Civic Center watching Johnson play Hill. My mother calls me when I got home from that night after beating them 7-1 to and says, the house got robbed. And I said, well, could have been anybody. Everybody was gone. Like, it was, did anybody that was in the neighborhood see a white van in the driveway or somebody crowbarred the door? I guess they robbed a few of the houses. And, you know, that also happens on the east side. But um, I, I had to refocus, and I said, hey, I'm sure insurance will take care of it. Hopefully you got insurance. And we had to play Grand Rapids the next day, and we beat them 11-3, to which was – Again, a manifested surprise when they had a few D1 guys on their team and Kelly Fairchild and Dave Holm, and they were really a strong team from the north that year. And they pounded everybody. And, and again, pucks just were going in for us, and we, we got hot at the right time. But as we all know, things don't happen overnight. This was a buildup from the loss of Cottage Grove and us going everything we do the next season is going to be redemption to get Hillary back to where it needed to be, which not only was a state tournament, and then again we were down three to one to, to Duluth East and come back and beat them five to three. It, it was meant to be, but yeah, I, I sorry man, that brought tears to my eyes. I still remember it was like yesterday, and my brother and I said we're going to win that goddamn thing, and because we had nothing to lose, and it was literally our faith, I think, in God and just each other going. Like I said, they're going to have to kill us to pull us off the ice, but. We're going to bring everything we got, and we did. We're going to take another moment here to shout out one of our sponsors. Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine has been committed to the health care needs of patients in western Wisconsin since 1954. The orthopedic surgeons and athletic trainers serve many area schools. Their success and reputation as an outstanding orthopedic clinic can be attributed to the teamwork of friendly, knowledgeable physicians and staff. They are dedicated to providing each patient with exceptional attention and service. And I got to tell you, JC and I have both been recent patients of that clinic, and they do a fantastic job for us. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be on the ice and or swinging the club soon. <laughs> I can't wait to get out of this bolster. <laughs> you know, uh, Mark, the passion and energy in you is, is extraordinary, even looking back at your youth. Um, but let's, let's look uh, forward beyond, beyond college right now. And after the Badgers, you were able to play pro for a couple of years. East Coast, AHL, I think you signed with, the, with New Jersey. 
That's correct. Give, yeah. give us just a little bit of uh, insight as to how that felt to, to be able to play at the pro rank. Yeah, no question. I, again, I, this whole thing's have been a blessing for me. Uh, it's taught me so much about myself and life and relationships. Um, but yeah, when I was done here, I had a free agent opportunity. I was undrafted. Um, so I had the devils and, uh, the, uh, Detroit Red Wings, the devils gave me a $5,000 signing bonus. So I took it because again, I think I was minus 20 in my checking account at the time, <laughs> even though I was on a full ride, I was still a poor college kid. But anyway, I, and I knew Lou Lamarillo a little bit. So I signed with the devils and, uh, I was able to go to my first uh, training camp, and I, I really saw how big, strong, intense, professional guys were. And that was the likes of uh, Scott Stevens, Martin Brodeur, uh, Stefan Richer. Uh, the Devils had just won the 95 Cup, and so there was a lot of excitement, yet these guys were tired, man. When you win the Cup, it's a long year. You're playing probably 100, 105 games. You're going deep in the playoffs, but... You know, Kenny Danico, uh, these guys were, they were men. And um, so I went into camp and you could find out really fast how different it was in college because college, you know, you had your best friends. I, I knew these guys. I went to class with them. Uh, you know, you knew who their girlfriends were. You had, you, you had relationships with them. They were roommates. It became very individualized and, and it, it kind of threw me for a loop because, you know, I was like, okay, everybody's just talking about what they want to do, where they're going, where they came from, and all their individualism uh, accolades. And I was just like, well, I'm just here to play hockey, make the best team I can, and then help that team win. And it, it really opened my eyes up to saying, if you're going to be a pro, you got to really uh, take care of yourself. It's, it's kind of on you. And so it turned me off a little bit, to be honest with you, from how I was trained. But I, but I stuck in the A for a bit my first year. Uh, was back and forth in in Raleigh a few games in the East Coast League, which back then, I mean, there were some real, real, real tough people uh, in the game. And the East Side um, probably taught me at least street smarts to say, who do you want to mess with and who don't you want to mess with? And, you know, I, I, I my game changed a little bit. I had to fight. Um, I still was a tough two-way defenseman, but, again, styles changed. Um, coaching changed. Uh, it was a lot of turn and burn. So my first year I went back and forth, and I had shoulder surgery because I had dislocated it uh, several times in college and kept popping it back in. And so I finally needed it done. It, it was uh, irritating me to the point where, you know, when I'd sleep, it'd pop out. And then my second year I went back to New Jersey's camp. I had a, I had a two-year plus one deal, and I stuck in the A my whole second year. Probably pay, played 60, 65 games of the uh, 80 or 82. And so I was in and out. So I was kind of that... You know, you'll play left wing tonight or you'll be, you know, the fifth or sixth D. Um, you know, I wasn't allowed to be as offensive as I wanted to be because it just wasn't the system we were running. We were running the one, two, two. Actually, Jacques Lemaire kind of traps. Locked, yeah, yeah. Lock, lock stuff up. And so anytime I grabbed the puck and wanted to be uh, Bobby Orr and race around the net and literally get it past the first blue line, uh, Robbie Fatorik was like, you don't do that. You see Patrick Eliash or Peter Sikora, and you put on their tape. That's all you do. So I was like, well, that kind of sucks, but, yeah, I can see why you want me to do that. So it, it just – I don't want to say it turned me off, but uh, my love of the game as a player started kind of tweaking, and, and then I had to fight a little bit. And uh, at the time, personally, too, I was uh, 
you know, as I was dating, um, which became my, my future wife. And I think that kind of weighed on me too, to say, Hey, do I want to do this for 10 years if I can't actually play in the NHL? Cause to me, that was, you know, you go from, uh, Abe Bantams to Hill Murray to Wisconsin. And now you're going, I'm not, I don't want to battle the minors. And I did have my, uh, college degree. I'd finished that in my first year pro actually on the bus in the American league. Uh, I had finished a, a journalism paper for 10 pages. And I remember I got a B on it from professor Jim Hoyt here at Wisconsin. And I was done with my college uh, degree. And I was, I was very happy and proud because I could walk off that bus at any time and I don't have to get my face knocked in anymore. And so I, I hung it up and then transition into maybe your next question where, you know, what is the next step? What do you do now? And, and there's this sadness, this depression, this, oh my gosh, uh, the game has brought me this far and now it's, it's ended or it's stopped. Uh, as a kid, I always respected my gym teachers and coaches and, you know, they were all kooky, man. They were all nuts, but I loved them. And so it was kind of what I wanted to do. I knew that it manifested. So then I, I kind of found my way into sales a little bit. I actually helped out Johnson a little bit. And then I got into coaching at Colorado College. Um, and I don't know if that was where we we're going next, but it, it kind of then tuned, tuned me into where um, it came full circle today. And, and um, you know, I'll let you guys ask again, if because, uh, again, I can bring you from where that started when I was done playing pro. I just kind of hung it up. I called Bill Zito, my agent, and said, hey, I, I – I think I'm good, man. If I can't play in the NHL for 10 years, I don't want to go over to Finland. I don't want to battle the the, the American League and, and the East Coast for 10 years. It's just not worth losing my mind or my brain from it. Sure. Well, we're definitely going to get there, but I don't know. I think we have a couple of interesting stories, maybe from his college days we can ask him about. Yeah, you know, uh. you know, you talked about your, your, your USHL and, you know, UMD and Nebraska-Omaha, but... One of our previous guests was a was a guy by the name of Eric Ragor, who you're very oh, yeah. familiar with. Oh, you yeah. know? And uh, our understanding... <laughs> i got to get both feet on the ground here right? and, and <laughs> dig in now that you said rags. You know, our understanding is that it, rags took you up north to his hometown of Superior, and you went to a place called the Anchor Bar. And you were the big, tough dude in the group that had to order a double galley buster <laughs> and now, tell them what a galley buster is JC. now now for our listeners this is literally a pound of meat <laughs> a pound of burger i don't know how many six or eight or I however many it was, slabs I think it was three patties for a pound but he had a double yes and six patties <laughs> did you really sweat your way through this i took month? that thing down man <laughs> I think I ate the whole thing, if I remember right. And I'm trying to remember if we ordered a beer with it or not. Uh, maybe we had two. But the Anchor Bar is legendary. And the fact that he thought of me and brought me up there. And I think I had a tapeworm growing up, to be honest with you. My dad would bring my brother and I to McDonald's. And he'd have to write a check because he didn't have enough cash after we ordered. Uh, we, we went past point. But back then, you could eat three Big Macs and two large fries and I wouldn't gain a pound, but yeah, the galley buster triple, or I don't even know what we called it, but it was unbelievable. Did he you said, have to, oh, go ahead. Mo, he said it, was, it was kind of painful to watch oh, yeah. the last few bites. Cause we, he knew everybody knows you had to finish it, right? <laughs> I ordered it. I got to finish it. Otherwise I'll never hear the end of it. That's right. So yep. you did. I did. Oh, did you have to roll out of there? That oh evening? my God. I was sick for a week. I, <laughs> Actually, I think I had him bring me to a bathroom down the street there about uh, two blocks away. 
Yeah, that's a, I had forgotten about that story. <laughs> I, did he tell you the story where um, he brought me out to like Cross Plains, I think it was, and he had just inherited a station wagon from his grandmother, and uh, it had, I think, maybe 60 clean, 60,000 clean miles on it. But he, Rags used to like to go out and hunt before uh, Saturday games. And uh, I don't know if it was he was killing pheasants or ducks or deer or anything that could breathe and had meat on it and or a feather. He was out hunting. He's a big hunter. So he asked me one day if I could go out and get his car because somehow he got a ride back in. We played the game, but this is Monday now, and his car was still out in the middle of the woods, this station wagon. Well, I said, yeah, no problem. And, and so I jump in there, and, and we're going on these back roads, um, you know, by Cross Plains, and I'm like, where is this place, man? So we're down this dirt road. Next thing you know, there's field opens up, and, and there's some trees, and then there's the station wagon. And I kind of had a look at it, and I said, Rags, that, that thing don't look too good. And he's like, no, it really doesn't, does it? And we both get out, and I think what happened is somebody took their shotgun and jumped on his hood, shot every window out, shot the tires out, and just basically had a fun field day of blowing this car to smithereens. He's like, I don't know whether I should laugh or cry right now. I go, I'm going to laugh. This is, oh, my God. I've never seen anything like this. This thing's it's gone. Like, do you have enough money to repair this? I mean, every window's out. The tire's gone. I, I don't know if they shot the... He he had it enough to where he could drive it, like Ace Ventura and Pet Detective with his head out the window. So we're rolling on these these tires that are dying. The, the windows are all smashed out, and he brought it right to a junkyard. And I think he got uh, maybe 300 bucks, I'm, I'm guessing. And he took me to lunch uh, on Park Street. And then we left the car at the junkyard, and he gave him a few hundred bucks because he didn't have money to repair it. But I was literally, I'm still stunned at that story. <laughs> so whoever you're out there, you shot Regor's uh, car up. Not cool, dude, but it was funny. Right. BBs were everywhere in that thing, man. That was the one. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Mark, thanks. That uh, that just uh, brings a little lightheartedness here. But, uh, oh. you know, let, let's move on to the next step. You know, you have been a successful coach. You are, um, you know, obviously well-respected in the community. You're now with the Badgers. Um, but it wasn't all easy. You took a little bit of time off in your coaching career. And do you want to touch on that a little bit? Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, everyone has a path. Everyone has a story. Um, the, the road's not easy to get to where you want to go and, uh, sacrifices get made and decisions get made and you hope you're with people that support you and, and, um, you know, understand, you know, why you're doing it. But, uh, I, I started, um, at Colorado college as a volunteer. So I, I was mentored a little bit by Don Lucia. Uh, after that year, he went to Minnesota, but he was kind enough to let me run the defense I couldn't recruit because I was kind of a volunteer grad assistant. I worked in the facilities department there with a guy by the name of Vic Gellner, who was a Vietnam veteran, and did, did some uh, purchasing uh, in Vietnam for the Army. And, and we're still friends to this day. I think Vic's got to be 92 or 93, but I made 7 bucks an hour. And this is a guy that, you know, I had saved a little bit in pro hockey. After my $5,000 signing bonus, I fought Reed Simpson, or I should say I got jumped by Reed Simpson, so they gave me 40 grand. So I still had a little bit left over. So I could take the risk, and um, I had uh, pretty much just gotten married and convinced my wife at the time that 
this is what you got to do to be a coach and you don't make a lot of money and and she commuted to denver every day which was very very nice of her but i, I had a dream and i had a, a vision to um to coach and give back the dream that i was able to have at wisconsin and um anyway i, I bounced from there to the ushl donnie got the job in minnesota I didn't obviously go with him. I tried to get a job at CC. That didn't work out. Uh, Scott Owens brought in his guys. And, again, it taught me a, a bit from my pro days going, you know, you kind of got to fend for yourself here a little bit, and it's not going to be easy. But you got to align yourself with the right people because they're the ones that are going to give you the break. It's like real estate. It's just the one house. It's the one buyer, and it's the fit that, that you need to find. So Jimmy Hillman and I had the Bad News Bears pretty much, the USHL Vulcans that were there in last year, their existence. Uh, Jimmy Johansson was our GM. The Hubbards, uh, God bless them, you know, paid our bills. Uh, I think I made ten grand that year as a coach, and we won the whole thing. We ended up beating uh, Marco Siki's Green Bay Gamblers here in uh, in Green Bay at their home rink. Uh, I think that was four to one for the for the Clark Cup, the national title. And Did you ever bring that up to Mark? Oh yeah, yeah. We've we've chatted about it. We've chatted about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, he always had good teams there, and, and um, but, you know, again, we, we brought out the will to fight in our guys, and we had nothing to lose, and, and uh, Adam Burkhole was stellar in that, and that was pretty cool. But, you know, the, going back to the east side, we were taught to win. We, I, 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 if you lost a game at Johnson growing up, it was a surprise. You, you might have been running Lake Phelan three times or having an outdoor practice of prosperity thrown up over the boards. So, you know, when you're 57 and 7 or – you know, 60 and five, and then you go to Hill Murray and then you go to Wisconsin. I mean, that's, I, I like to win. I, I, I have an addiction to it in a way where uh, I get you're going to get a bounce of a puck the wrong way sometimes, but to me, uh, I, I want to beat you and I want guys around me to beat me. So the Vulcans, we were able to pull that out of them. We had, I think, 19 scholarship guys, and the year before, they might have been eight or nine games under 500. Well, you know, we were 15 games over it, won the whole thing. We had more guys get scholarships than I thought, you know, that they believed in. And uh, then it triggered me to have a little bit of resume built. Steve Rollick went from Omaha, UNO, with Mike Kemp, who recruited both of us to Wisconsin, to Duluth. And Scott Sandlin got the job from North Dakota. They had just won the uh, national title at North Dakota. So Scotty gets hired, hires myself and Rawls. And, again, I just I think the world of Scotty and, and Steve – they're both great coaches. They're both great guys, and they both mentored me quite a bit because you can't coach like you play, and at times my emotions could get the best of me if a guy made a mistake because that's kind of how I was taught. But what I've learned now from those guys too is you take a step back, you, 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 you correct in love, you correct in solutions, but also they have to still understand the size 11 can get up their rear end real fast if they continue to have the habitual uh, you know, mistakes or they're not listening or they're going to do their own thing. So I uh, went from uh, Duluth to Nebraska, Omaha. So Rawls and I helped rebuild Duluth in two years. I think the freshman we brought in, uh, our first year we had seven wins. It was a complete rebuild. And uh, we went everywhere and we were very driven and I wasn't home a lot. But uh, we ended up, the freshman we brought in at 28 wins our junior year and went to the Frozen Four for the first time uh since brett hall played there and uh, those were real good hard-nosed tough kids um and it, and it gave me again confidence to say i can do this i can build teams i can recruit teams i can 
put a right wing in there that's got that can get 20 college goals, but he's tough as nails. And get a skilled centerman who may not be as tough, but needs a little space because his right wing is going to give him that. Uh, a power play defenseman, a, a stay at home tough shot blocking, you know, off the glass and all kind of D, and and then obviously some goalies. And then I went to UNO for two with Mike Kemp. And again, the, the freshman, uh, I, I worked with another East Side guy, Doc Della Costello, and we went to grade school together. So that came full circle. And we helped build a team in two years that went to their first NC2A tournament. But in 2003, my father had gotten, uh, well, he actually passed away, but he had gotten sick about five years earlier and had a disease uh, called progressive supranuclear palsy. And it was a form of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So that weighed heavily on my mind. And, and um, anyway... When he passed away, I had went home a few days later um, after we buried him, and ironically, Jeff Sauer and Mike Kemp were both at that funeral, which was extremely touching, man, and uh, I'll never forget that. And uh, anyway, I I just had really second thoughts. I mean, uh, I was like, man, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? I miss my dad. My uh, wife at the time had told me she was pregnant, and... Uh, one thing I always promised myself without getting too deep here was I was always want to be a good father and I always want to be around for my kids. And uh, I remember running into Ron Mason uh, at one of the conventions uh, and I said, hey, coach, you know, how do you do it, man? You, you got a wife and kid, daughters. And he goes, hey, listen, it's hard. You got to have a real supportive, understanding wife. Your kids got to know that, you know, they're going to have to share dad a little bit because he's got, you know, 25, 28 sons every year on the hockey team. And uh, it's not the easiest job to be around, but when you're around, be home and then make sure you're focused. And so I took that to heart and it really scared me because my childhood wasn't great. It wasn't stable. My parents were divorced and I'd see my dad every few weeks and I missed him a lot. Uh, my mother did her best to raise, you know, four kids and I, I just wanted a better life for my kids. And anyway, when Jack was coming into the world, um, I remember praying in my basement in my house in Omaha and I, I, I had an opportunity through actually a, a guy on the east side, Mike Lyons, uh, played at Minnesota, St. Paul Johnson guy. He had gotten a medical device distributorship. So this is 2004. I lose my dad. My wife's bringing her first child in the world, and, he, and Jack was due in July. And I remember talking to Mike Kemp. I just said, hey, man, I'm, I'm making 55 grand, and she's working, but she doesn't want to work anymore. She wants to stay home with the, with the little guy. And He's like, well, you know, what can I do? And I said, man, I don't, I don't know. Like, I do more hockey schools or, uh, you know, is this going to be enough to survive on? And I've already sacrificed X amount of years. And uh, anyway, um, he's like, whatever you want to do, man. At the time, ironically, um, Marco Siki and I were interviewing at Wisconsin with Mike Eves. And uh, I, I'm trying to remember who left. It might have been John Hines had taken the U.S. program job. So I drive in from Omaha. I think Osiki drove in from Green Bay. He ended up getting the job, and I, I took it as kind of a signal to say, hey, man, maybe you got to give up your dream. And and I remember wrestling with the good Lord, and I just said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else. I'm going to take this med device job. I'm going to double down. I think I made 30% more overnight to be able to have my wife stay home at the time, move back to Hudson, Wisconsin, told Mike Kemp, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to resign, and I'm going to – try to go a different direction here and be a, a dad and and f learn this new world where you know the white picket fence and the suburban home is where I'm supposed to be I guess something in my gut told me that I was going to be back I was, coaching had too much of a grip on me I had too many influences that 
you know, I just respected and said, there's, there's more that I can do here in this sport. And so I went on this journey, uh, lived in Hudson, coached youth hockey once Jack got to be, you know, a mite. My daughter Greta was born in 2006. And, you know, outside looking in, people were probably saying, man, you know, a guy's got it all. And I, I just had this yearning and I, I love my kids more than anything in the world. And, uh, but I just, I just missed the coaching at the high level. I just missed the competitiveness. I missed the, Hey, I can go out and watch a game and give a kid a dream and say, Hey, you're coming from, you know, um, somewhere in Northern Canada, man. And now you're going to come to my school and I'm going to, I'm going to hand you this and you're going to have the four years that I had and you're going to be with your best friends. And so that never left me. And I don't know why, but uh, I put 11 years actually in a med device. I worked my way up from a rep in, in orthopedics. I mean, uh, going toe to toe with uh, Harvard educated Mayo trained, brilliant, brilliant minds and incredible hands on how to fix people. So I was really blessed. But what I learned again there was leadership. I learned, uh, you want to talk about having a study, uh, biology, anatomy, physiology, uh, sales goals, sales numbers, how to execute a, a business plan, um, you know, how to forecast things, uh, a PLI statement, you know. Um, you know, it was pretty cool. I, 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 but I, but I always, like I said, I missed the hockey. So I got involved in Hudson. I was in their organization for five years as a squirt and, and Mike coach. And, and that was super fulfilling to be able to coach my son and his buddies. And a lot of those old fours are now getting scholarships, Isaac Howard and Colton Jamison. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a blessing. Um, then Rob Andringa called and said, hey, man, uh, we need a ringside reporter. Will you want to do some Minnesota games, make some side bucks? And I said, sure. And at that time, I was working my way up in management, too. So, again, you go back to leadership. There was, you know, HR, somebody at your company is like, hey, hey, we think you can do what you did as a rep and now, you know, spread that across, you know, 30 distributorships or 20 reps or go out to Seattle and grow them and teach them about how to, you know, go into a surgery and, and execute a meniscal repair and how to have tact and uh, knowledge, but also a uh, conversation with high level minds, you know? And so I did that and it was fulfilling to a point, you know, you kind of, you, you put the face on a little bit, but I missed hockey, man. And so in 2015, uh, Steve Rolla called me and I thought his mother was sick, which she was. Um, but he said, Hey, I just lost Brett Larson. He got back in the, want to go back home to Duluth. And I said, well, why are you calling me? And he goes, well, it's an outside the box situation, but would you be interested to come to Ohio state and be in my, you know, associate head coach and recruiting coordinator? And I said, man, are you sure you want to take that risk? Like I have been out, I've been out, I got to learn video. And he goes, Nope, you're my guy. And so I took a pay cut. I, I, again, I went back to chat with my wife at the time and, I knew it was going to be scary for her and the kids, but I said, this is what I'm born to do. And you got to bet on me and it's going to be okay. And so I took the job. Uh, I go down to uh, Columbus. It was like I was reborn again, you know, uh, it was, the dream was back on the table to be a head coach someday. And, and I, but I still had to go through my steps, you know, and Steve was outstanding. Joe Exter was a, a partner I worked with too. And, you know, those guys were big helps and, and Lane LaBelle and they, they, they just taught me again on how the, you know, things changed, you know, uh, the coaching changed, the video changed, the verbiage changed and back checking wasn't back checking anymore. It's called tracking. And I'm like, 
I thought that's what people did when uh, they were bounty hunters or they saw like deer prints and they had to go find the thing because you shot it and it, it jumped over a fence two miles away. That's tracking. But so I, I, I all consumed everything. And uh, this was late August by uh, January, unfortunately. And uh, again, I, it's my personal life, but my, uh, my wife time decided um, she didn't want to um, be married anymore. And so I, I went through a divorce that just was hell and uh but i i my faith my east side upbringing i i had to i had to survive i had to stick with it and i had to believe that something good was going to come out of it well two years later uh my alma mater uh, and tony donnie had left to go to the chicago blackhawks and and uh, tony had called and and i said man i you know i I would definitely consider it, but Steve's a good friend of mine, and uh, he, you know, put his uh, neck out on the line for me. And we had just gone to the tournament with Ohio State, won 21 games, and and uh, first time in eight years that they have gone in the tournament, and and uh, I was happy. You know, the divorce was tough, and missing my kids was really, really, really tough, and still is. But um, you know, it was hard to pass up an opportunity to be close for my kids. I, I was getting paid more, and I signed a three-year deal to come back to my alma mater, the place that changed my life in 1991 and uh, is near and dear to my heart and always will be. I love the people here. I love the bars here. I love the, the food here. I love the mentality here. And uh, so I was like, I'm a badger, man. I'm, I'm going to go home. And, and uh, you know, I always say I'm from the east side of St. Paul, which is a city in the state of Minnesota, but I, I'm, I'm always a badger, man. And, and um, I love Wisconsin. And so I had that opportunity and I've been here since uh, 2017. And and um, I just feel real honored and grateful. And, um, you know, all the stuff in the past, everything that gets you to where you're here today, when you use it as a tool to say those things had to happen, that had, that had to, you know, uh, be a speed bump, but I had to get over it. I had to, you know, put the, some of these things in the rearview mirror, I think has made me a better coach. Um, it's made me a better person. It's made me look inside myself to um, be less, you know, selfish and more humble and but coaching is a big responsibility i take very serious every day and um you know i love interacting with these these young young guys and changing their life from the 18 to 22 23 window because i was there and i knew uh, how important it was every day to have a conversation to me hockey is easy part you know to motivate to uh, change strategies to run a two one two four check versus a one two two or you know uh, goalie let in a couple bad goals pull them and put a new guy in there uh, to me it's the relational part the, the impact you have on the student athlete every day uh, because in 10 15 20 years they're going to go through some stuff they're going to have successes they're going to have championships but they're also going to have failures they're going to also have divorce they're going to also have sickness they're going to also have Maybe their kids saying they don't like them too much, and then you know a week later they love them. Um, so for me, I'm able to teach that, and uh, I think it's 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 more than a job. It's a it's a life skill that uh, I've, I've been blessed with, and I have to uh, pay it forward every day. Well, that's that's quite a story to get where you are right now. You know, and and I want to talk about the Badgers. You know, during your four years, you guys made it to NC2A. You know, four times. The Badgers have been having some rough years here. There's been some rough patches. This last year was nowhere near what anybody expected, Coach. And in your mind, what what does 
the Wisconsin Badger hockey team need to do to kind of turn the next page? Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I know exactly uh, what you're saying. I mean, you know, as a former player and alumni, too, and now a coach, I mean, there's some embarrassment. There's some disappointment. Um, but, again, I think we have to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, make zero excuses. Um, I think we have to, again, do a better job of bringing players in here annually that are a bit older, that are not going to turn over so fast where you can't build that continuity, you can't build the brotherhood, you can't build the who's in my captain for the next two years and we're going to hold everyone into account and we're going to get that swagger back. Um, you know, I'm, I like physicality. I, I think we can step up our, our physical play and, and I don't want to use the word intimidate, but just, just be harder on, on playing the body and and just maybe more disciplined in areas where we just got to clean some things up through all zones but you know um this season again it's still i don't like talking about it because it's 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 a shitty truth of uh it's a pit in my stomach and the expectations have to be high here uh, i take a very serious i know uh tony does and oz does as coaches um but you're here to win and you're here like football like basketball like volleyball, like rowing, like wrestling. Now, it, Wisconsin wins, and the and the fans expect that. And to me, that that has to be the expectation. It it just can't be. Uh, you know, you come in, you check in, you got a really nice locker room, you're going to school for free. You know, you got the union. That that's that's not why you're here. You're here to excel academically. You're here to work your tail off, and you're here to win a lot of hockey games because. Mike Kemp always told me this. I'll never forget it. He said, too much is given, much is expected. And the expectations here are high. They need to be higher. And our guys, uh, as uh, us as coaches and, and players, have to be held you know, to that high standard. And for me, it is NC2A tournaments. It's championships. It's winning. It's you know, a, a mindset of you know, how do we get to 24, 25 wins and be in the top two or three in the Big Ten every year and every other year win the championship. So... You know, you, you you hit me right in the face with it. I, I'm 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 answering honestly, and you know, we we all have to do a better job. You know, for our listeners, you know, as an associate head coach, define your position for us. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I wear different hats. You know, um, Marco Siki's our recruiting coordinator. He runs a defense. Um, he will do uh, the penalty kill. I, I'm kind of a tweener. You know, I'm up there with the forwards with Tony. But he, he has a, a, you know, obviously his level of where he's played, he brings just so much knowledge to the forward position. But I run the power play. I assist individually with, you know, grabbing a guy and we'll do some video on his shifts and positioning and where he's at and what he can do better. I also run the academics, uh, which, again, we're very proud of. When we got here, when I got here, was the GPA was 277. And I, there was nothing in, in place to sit and say, well, are you guys on time graduating? Do you even care to graduate in four years? What a class are you taking? Is there a study table? Do you, are you having a tutor? Uh, what is your major? What do you want to do? So we got that up to a 3.1, but I instituted study tables of freshmen. My first couple of years here, if you didn't have a, a certain number of a GPA, um, uh, like a 2.5 or above, you were going to study table too. And then I monitored the hours and I would have, I have weekly check-ins with our academic advisor and our, and our um, learning specialist, every Tuesday from 9 to 10, we go every player. We go over every player, progress reports, how they're doing. Um, you know, 
are they on are they on task to graduate? Are they on uh, you know a focus level to say on the ice is important as off the ice? Um, so I do a lot of that, and um, you know for me it's it's just I'll do whatever is asked of me. You know I do a lot of recruiting. Um, you come back and we bounce around names and guys and where does he fit in and and where's he from and you know how much is he uh, you know uh, scholarship wise going to be and. So I'm, I'm part of all those conversations. But, um, yeah, the power play for me has kind of been my, I guess, baby. And, and again, seeing it at 7% this year to start and coming out of that St. Cloud series, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, get Cole Caulfield back here fast. <laughs> but uh, we ended up getting up to 18%, but we worked at it. We had It's like a chess match. And, you know, Matty D. St. Foul got better and, you know, for me, it's just we, we have to go find those guys every year in the recruiting world to sit and say, you know, Joe Pavelski can score goals. Everyone sees that. Well, you need a guy that maybe in that area of the power play is in that bumper that can score goals. And then, you know, it's kind of what are your needs? You want to be a fast team? Do you want to be a, a physical team? And so we got to kind of, I think, define that a little bit better of, you know, who we plug in, why, what type, does that going to help us? you know, in the top six versus the bottom six. Uh, and I think, you know, we're, we're working towards that. But I don't know if that answered your question. I, I do everything, man. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a jack of all trades. Whatever Tony wants done, I do it. Uh, Oz, too. Like, I'm just – I'm here to help these kids get better. I think I serve, too, every now and then as, like, a, a counseling psychologist because uh, guys kind of trust the fact that, you know, I'm just an open book and they can have those conversations. But – um you know, I'm 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 more with the forwards, I guess you would say. Uh, here, I've I've never really ran the defense. Uh, at Ohio State, I ran our defenseman for two years, and then at Duluth, I was defense. So that goes back to the, in my playing days, where I I feel comfortable in all positions, and uh, you know, running different four checks or or D zone coverages, or whatever. You know, we all kind of put our two cents in that. But um, I, I'm learning, man. I'm growing. You know, I, again, I, I, my, my dream and goal someday is to be a head coach, wherever that is. I, I think that's definitely, um, you know, you got to have professional goals. And, um, you know, we all got them. I mean, some, some guys love being assistant. They can recruit for 30 years. They love the recruiting, you know. Um, but, but I think eventually I'll find my way, you know. I, I, I love it here. I, I want to get better. I, I, I again, I want to win. My, every every year, you know, Wisconsin to me in hockey, men's ice hockey should be a superpower and a top five program. And, uh, you know, there's no excuses otherwise. Coach, you have done one heck of a job of summarizing that all roads are not as easy as other roads to get where you are ending up. And we appreciate you sharing that story. Mogi? Yeah, Coach, that was that was awesome. I appreciate hearing the stories from St. Paul, being a St. Paul boy myself, and uh, you know what you what you did with uh, the grit that you were instilled as a youth is is amazing, and uh, yeah, you've been extremely successful. And I can't can't wish you anything more than wonderful success in your rest of your future. Well, I thank you guys for doing these and uh, talking to people like me and and bringing out the passion and. Uh, hopefully, you know, people out there can understand that, you know, you got to have a dream, you got to have a way to get there, you know, create a plan and the plan's always going to possibly get deviated, but find a different way in, man. If the front door is locked, go in the window upstairs, go in the back door, 
hell, I'm put your head right through the uh, the siding if you have to, but somehow get in that house and, and fulfill your dreams because you only get one crack at this. So I thank you guys for continuing to do things like these and talk to people like myself, you know. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Our uh, pleasure. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're here now with our special guest, Peyton from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I think this is going to be a good one, Mogi. What do you think? You know, we were sitting here a little while uh, with his dad and, and he and uh, talking about how the season went and had some really nice highlights. And yeah, looking forward to having him share these with our listeners. Peyton, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, let's start off with what position do you play? Uh, I play left wing. And for what team? Uh, I play for the Eau Claire Mustangs and Pro Hybrid. So a couple of different teams, depending upon what season it is, right? Yeah. Or what time of the year, I should say. So we know where Eau Claire is. How about this Pro Hybrid group? Where are they out of? Uh, mostly out of Woodbury. Woodbury, Minnesota? Yep. Okay. Tell us how your season went with uh, the Eau Claire Mustangs. Uh, our season went pretty good. Uh, we had a pretty good team. Uh, we won the Appleton tournament, and we almost beat Hudson for playdowns. We lost in double overtime. Ouch. That's a heartbreaker. Oh, boy, yeah. Did you guys bounce back, though, positive? You ready to go next year again? Yeah, we're going to beat them next year. Oh, I like that attitude. <laughs> Who was your coach this year on the Peewee team? Uh, we had Bob Grindy and Shane. I don't know his last name. Oh, Shane McLaughlin? Shane McLaughlin? Yeah. 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 Oh, so you had a Memorial guy and a North guy. Yep. Did they work well together or do they butt heads once in a while, you know? They worked pretty good together. All right. And how did your season go? Did you get a couple goals? Yeah, I scored a lot of goals, had a lot of assists, uh, had a goal or an assist almost every game. So who was feeding you the puck for you to put it in the net? Uh... My teammates, my line mates. So uh, anybody in particular who kind of like uh, uh, Matt Zuccarello giving it to Kirill Kaprizov and anything like that? Any good combos for you? Oh uh, yeah, uh, my line mates were Levi Schofield and Mason Flannery for most of the season. Sounds like you guys worked well together. Yeah, we did. Now, this other hybrid team, you were talking to us uh, before we started the podcast about this tournament you guys played in down in Chicago, and you had a tough game. Yeah, uh, we played a team from Alaska. Uh, the game started pretty normal. Um, I got a pretty sweet goal, and then uh, it kind of got out of hand. Uh, they just started, like, checking us and, like, uh, just doing a lot of dirty stuff and the refs weren't really calling anything and then uh uh this kid uh uh cross-checked um Levi Schofield actually and uh he was down for a while and he came back he was like skating past our bench the ref was holding him and uh my my buddy uh Aiden Murray he said um go back to Alaska and uh, he, like, tried to come at him and, like, punch him, and the ref was, like, holding him back. So uh, it was a pretty rough game, but we won 6-3. to three. They were pretty bad. Oh, those chirping, huh? Yeah. yeah. Chirping There's a the lot Kiwi of chirping level. going on there. <laughs> Tell us about this goal you had. Um, It was a pretty sweet goal, I think. Um, 
it was like a breakout at uh, center ice. I skated past some kids, and then when I got to like maybe top of circles, I made a toe drag about around the D, and then uh, I sniped it top corner and hit the post and like ran, ran around. Yeah, we uh, saw the replay from his dad. You could hear the post. You could hear the ding. It was pretty cool. That's sweet music. <laughs> it is. And I like the terminology more. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Even sweet better. music, you know, for the goal scorer when it goes in and sweet music for the goalie when it goes the other way, right? That's exactly right. I was watching the, the wild is- game last night and uh, somebody hit the post and flurry. He's interesting. He's thanks to post, his buddy the post. You know, yep. Nice stop, buddy. <laughs> so have you played wing your entire uh, career? No, uh, I actually used to play center. For uh, the Bucks, it was uh, the thing before the Guardians, and uh, then I think it was either my first or second year of Squirt. Um, I moved to left wing, and I've just played it ever since. But uh, for the Coleman Cup, my coach had me play center, and uh, I kind of had to get back to the swing of it. But uh, went up. It did. We did pretty good. We uh, almost won. And uh, there was a skills competition, and uh, I made the shootout, and I won it. I went uh, seven for eight. Wow. I think that's pretty doggone good. So uh, shootout is, are you a a deeker? Are you a shooter? How do you get the majority of your goals in a shootout? Um, I'm usually a deeker, but uh, I shot a couple times because the goalie was just leaving it wide open. Take what he gave you. Yep. So what do you do to work on your skills? Um, I have a setup in my garage. Uh, I either shoot on my tarp or my net, and I got um, hockey towels for Christmas, and that's what I've been using instead of shooting uh, boards. So your your folks probably park out in the driveway while you have all the hockey equipment in the in the garage, right? Yep. <laughs> Pretty nice. You know, we've heard that story before this year, JC, haven't we? <laughs> we oh, more than once. And you know what? It's those kids that are enjoying the game and excelling at it, well, too. And it's, and it's those parents that are supporting those kids and that love of that game that uh, are, are sacrificing, as we know. You know, you know it, not only the money, but the time and, and everything else and just feeding the dream. And that's, that's pretty cool. It absolutely is. And, you know, there's one other thing that's standing out about Peyton, and I, I – Gotta say that the parents are probably allowing it because he's got a little hair flow going there, Mo. He's got the hockey flow going for sure, Ab- absolutely. Now I, I understand even with that flow you got now, you just had a haircut. Yeah, I cut six to eight inches off. It was pretty. It was getting pretty long. <laughs> Apparently, well, it's down <laughs> below his shoulders now. Wait, wait till our our uh, listeners see his uh, his pictures on uh, on our media platforms yeah. and yeah he's he's definitely got the flow going and then imagine six to eight more holy cow yeah that's something else so do you like it when you're uh you know you're cruising down the ice can you feel the hair blowing in the wind oh uh, yeah <laughs> right. so what do you think it is with hockey guys in their salads what why why do why is that a thing i have no idea no to idea be you, just, you just like it yeah any any teammates have good salad like you yeah, uh, Levi, Mason, um, Picor. All right, there's a few guys that are, are following in those footsteps. Yeah, very All cool. All right, so one one quick question for you here now. Do you got a you got a player you like to watch? 
Yeah, uh, Alex Ovechkin. Okay. He is quite a phenomenal goal scorer. Is that you? Are you sitting at the top of the circle with one-timers going like he does? Not one-timers, but I'm pretty good at one-timers. All right. I like the I like the enthusiasm, well, confidence like, there. And, and it, you know, he's on a, on a breakaway, he shoots, he deeks, he's good at one-timers. Sounds like he's got his whole repertoire going. I think so. Very cool. Peyton, thank you very much for being on our podcast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Peyton. And a huge thank you to our audience. We'd like to thank our featured guest, Mark Strobel, our special guest, Peyton Hulls, and a special thank you to our sponsors, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine Clinic and Remedy Bloody Mary Mix. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter and visit us on our website at thebreakoutsessions.com. And remember, folks, until our next episode, stay on your inside edges. Catch your breath.